to me on the day I turned 13 With a half-shot box of shells and a kit to keep it clean I keep a picture in the case of that sweet old man All right, Cable Smith, alongside my co-host Chisholm Cook, welcoming everybody to episode two of Justified Pursuit. It's great to be here with you today. Uh, thank you so much for dropping by. Today's topic, as we're going to get right into it, focuses on the Second Amendment. And uh, I mean, everyone probably saw that tweet that Joe Biden put out this past week claiming that we need to reinstitute the assault weapons ban and high-capacity magazines. Uh, however, yeah, Joe Biden says stuff like that. I don't put much stock into it because, I mean, at this point, Joe's just a puppet. And Kamala Harris has a, a much more scary track record, in my opinion. So, Shazam, what are your initial thoughts on what we're seeing right now from the left concerning their general just disregard for the constitution of the greatest country in the world and specifically uh, the second amendment dude kamala harris is bad news for freedom yeah i mean i you know i don't um i don't judge an individual based on even politicians immediately based on the letter by their name uh, i judge them on the things they say and the actions they've taken in public life and I know for a fact, because I've had conversations with folks that she's honestly, in a lot of ways, less popular among African-Americans mm -hmm. than she is among, you know, the average white population. She is a darling of the quote unquote progressives. But African-Americans look at her and say, you were putting black people in jail for marijuana, you know, violations back before California legalized pot and for truancy, right? And getting charged with corruption for rigging evidence in those criminal proceedings because she's driven by ambition rather, rather than any concept of justice, right? Yeah. And then you could see it if you paid, which I did, I watched all of them. If you were watching the Democratic primary debates going back to late last year, she would sit on the stage and be one of the, like with single payer healthcare, right? Bernie Sanders wants to eliminate private health insurance mm -hmm. and have the government provide it. And the only way for the government to provide all health insurance is to say that regular old health insurance is illegal. And so they were asked, like nine of them on stage at the time, who supports single payer healthcare and, the, and specifically making private insurance illegal. And only she and Bernie raised their hands. Maybe Elizabeth Warren too. And then when she was inundated with a flood from the left, because if I'm not mistaken, the polling is like 70-30 against that concept. It's wildly unpopular. Mm -hmm. Even among Democrats, it's like 65-35. Yeah. She changed her position the next day. And she did the same thing on providing, you know, that, that same national health care that was definitely the one where they asked for like a, a raising of hands. Question was, do, would your nationalized healthcare, should we provide that insurance that whatever that healthcare is to illegal immigrants 
or as the left likes to call, likes to call them now, undocumented immigrants, because they don't want to call them illegal anymore. That's she raised her hand for that too. Right, exactly. <laughs> she raised her hand for that too, and then the next day changed her mind. Like, flip-flopping is as old as politics. I, I generally hate Stephen Colbert. I can't say hate. I, I hate his uh, opinions, his, his politics, his... I can't stand his show. I don't hate the guy. He's very intelligent, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, but I will give him credit. He kind of held her feet over the fire and asked her during that uh, debate why she was beating up. She, he, he said, you left Joe Biden's chicklets all over the debate floor. You beat the crap out of him. How are you now his running mate? And all she said was, it was a debate, Stephen. It was a debate. And he would ask her another question about it. And she would just laugh and just brush it off and just say, it was a debate. Like, you can't say those things. She, you can't say, I believe the women that accused Biden of sexual assault. Right. And then just say, no, I changed my mind. I don't believe him because now I'm in it for me, Kamala Harris. And now I'm running for vice president. Right. And Biden is a racist because he supported busing in the 70s, despite being the running mate, this, you know, the hand-chosen running mate of the first African-American president in U.S. history, who then turned around and selected her to be, you know, the first African-American lady to, you know, run with, to, you know, to be part of a uh, national ticket. I, there, like I said, there, there's, there's flip-flopping. What you normally see is flip-flopping more or less over time as maybe public opinion changes, right? Right. It's one thing to flip-flop from year to year or every five years, but the flip-flop from day to day shows unequivocally that all she cares about is her political ambition and gaining power. Anybody who's willing to sell themselves on a day-to-day -day basis like that, just, I mean, no politician can be trusted, but that should be scary. And getting back to her laughing off those types of things. It how about a debate, Stephen? Hey, <laughs> How about when she claimed in one of those debates that, you know, she had a nice scripted out little, you know, soliloquy she went on where she looked in the camera and she said, and here's my pledge to America. If Congress doesn't take action on quote unquote assault rifles or assault weapons, whatever they call them, yeah. within my first hundred days in office, I'll sign an executive order sending the feds to your door to take your guns. Yep. And Joe Biden, thank God, stepped in and said, you can't do that. It's called the Constitution. And she like roared with laughter at the idea that she could be barred by the Constitution. Yeah. No, she has an absolutely terrible rating from, well, F rating from both the NRA and Gun Owners of America. And it is very scary, though, to think that the vice president of the United States, make no mistake about it, Joe Biden, I don't think we'll make it through his first term if he does win. The guy has, he clearly has dementia. He is not all there at this point in his career. I mean, what is he, 78? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, in fact, I think he'll be 79 if he wins before he takes, like, on inauguration day. I think his birthday is between now and then. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's going down very quickly as far as his mental you know, it, let, Hey, even, it, let's, let's say he doesn't have dementia yet. He's clearly not communicating at a, at a fully functional level, right? Yeah. Like, I, you know, my grandparents are old. 
they're not suffering dementia, but they don't speak as eloquently as they did 30 years ago. Right. Or even 10 years ago. So let, let, let's for the, sure. I, I don't know, just to, to give the benefit of the doubt, let's not call it dementia. He's slipping. My right? grandmother is 93 and can communicate more eloquently than that, than him. Right. Right. So, and, but, but he also does say crazy stuff at sometimes, of course, so does the guy in the white house right now. Yeah. He but does. to your point, He's already said he considers himself a transitional figure. In other words, he's basically all but said he won't necessarily be running for re-election. He's just there to, you know, you know, free us from the, the, the current chaos of Trump, right? At least that's from their position, right? Sure. Although I don't, I don't really argue with it. I think Jeb Bush was right. We've got a bit of a chaos president. <laughs> but the chaos around us right now is not from him. It's from the left. But sure. Certainly, certainly. Anyway, he, he has said he's going to be a transition, right? I'm with you. I think we've seen enough strong-arm tactics from the left. Like, truly, I mean, just bold-face, just bold-face aggressive moves to power that it would not shock me one bit if they, if they won and he was inaugurated on or around January 20th, if by spring break of next year, they haven't declared him incompetent under Amendment 25 and ushered her in. Right, right. For sure, American voters who are on the fence need to consider that when they vote. You know, it, it, that concept of being one heartbeat away from the presidency, it's always the case. It is more the case with Joe Biden than ever before. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at his running mate and you have to understand her policies well, and where she comes from if you're going to support that ticket. Yeah, but you also have to take into consideration the uh, Speaker of the House. Pelosi has said that when they get control again, uh, that's when she will move forward with her plan of implementing gun control policy. Whatever that is remains to be seen, but she has not been quiet about that either. So we have the, uh, you know, the three most high profile figureheads of the party right now all and Joe Biden is even you know he's he's not as bad as the other two but he he's been on record as saying all you need is a shotgun you don't need a high capacity magazine or basically an AR you don't need an AR15 to protect yourself are you looking <clears throat> right. at what is going on in our country you think that a shotgun with like five or six shells is going to stop looters and rioters that could potentially want to come into your neighborhood <laughs> this is yeah, I want to have as many ARs and as many two, two, three rounds as I can fit in my area of the house where they stay. So, well, you know, I'm glad that you put it like that because I believe that one of the most critical tactical slash strategic errors that Second Amendment advocates have made over the last. I don't know when it started. It seems to have been the argument my entire life. So let's call it 40 to 50 years, at least maybe the last hundred has been boiling the second amendment down to personal protection and the protection of one's household. That is not what the second amendment was drafted for. The second amendment was yeah, drafted. That's what Joe did though. That's what he boiled it down to. Right. Right. But, but my, but my point is that's because the, because, the, because I think even those of us who support the Second Amendment, the people on the right, whatever, however you want to classify it, have for a long time spoken more about that 
it's, it's because we have the most kick-ass military in the history of the planet. The average American doesn't feel the need to be armed as part of a militia for the protection of a free state or the security of a free state in the exact words of the Second Amendment. The average American looks at the United States military and says, they got that. My Second Amendment rights are for me to be able to protect my own household. And so we've let the conversation go to that. And the problem with that is it lets the Joe Bidens of the world take our argument and use it against us and say, you don't need an AR-15 to protect your house. You don't, generally speaking. Unless, to your point, you're in the midst of rioting and looting like we are right now and there's an army coming into your neighborhood, then yeah, you need high capacity magazines and lots and lots of bullets, right? Mm -hmm. But generally when things are regular in the country, yeah, he's probably right. If one, you know, dude with bad intentions or even two comes and bangs on your door, a sawed off, you know, with no plug and some buckshot, it's probably all you need. But yeah. that's not what the second amendment was written for. No. It is worth reading, under, meditating on, and understanding what it says. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The left has gone so far as to say, we don't need militias anymore, so the whole thing's irrelevant. That's, that's absolute bullshit. Yeah. And the, the times we are in right now, in my opinion, prove more than ever how crucial this clause is to the fabric of this society. Because if you let either extremist side, but I, you know, by and large, I'd say the right knows better because it's the right that's got the guns. If you let hardcore leftism take hold of this country, the types of leftists who say you're not allowed to say out loud your beliefs about protecting unborn children about, you know, the notion that all lives matter, whatever it would be, right? Pick, pick the current left dogma. You already they claim can say that, it on social media without being ostracized. Right. So if you let those folks who are trying to compel speech, regulate, eliminate entire ways of thought, right? Entire belief systems. If you let them take hold, we don't have a free state anymore, right? And mm -hmm. why do they want to take your guns? Because it's, at that point, the only thing you have left to defend yourself. If you're not allowed to speak in this country, you've been robbed of freedom. Because, dude, the only thing we have, the only thing we have that truly creates autonomy as individual humans is our brains. And the way in which you take your, you know, what's in your brain, your consciousness, and put it into the world is to speak it or write it, yeah. right? Language is the mechanism for that. So the way that, that's, that is freedom. And the way you protect that freedom, if necessary, is potentially with violence, right? If push comes to shove and your freedoms are being stripped and you are truly being basically enslaved into, you know, into the, the leftist utopia to come, 
the the only way they'll achieve that is if they take everybody's guns away, right? Yeah. So yeah. I I don't even want I don't even want to talk about it in terms of protecting my household anymore. I, I think we should be talking about it in terms of these arms that we're allowed to keep and bear are to protect our freedom. Yeah. That's where it has to start. And you know what you'll get back is oh you're gonna go to war against the government. If the government decides to go to war against us, yes. And that's what will happen in a leftist revolution. That's what will happen, is the government will take the war to us. Now, do we stand much of a chance? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I would disagree. Right? I, would, I would disagree. Uh, because if, let's just say, I think the number is 43% of the population lives in a household with a gun 30 percent of adults this is according to a uh gallup poll and it was published one year ago august 14 2019 so 33 uh, percent of uh adult americans personally own a gun i don't know what percent of that is ars which just being a realistic individual you, you would probably want to fight war against ARs with ARs. Uh, but there's a right. lot of black guns out there. I mean, if I have four or five in my house and, it, and the 33% say half of them have four or five, I don't know, man. I, I think that what, uh, I don't know. I think what Thomas Jefferson said might be true. What he said, the beauty of the second amendment is that you don't need it until they try to take it. So Exactly. And that's why they start there, right? That's why the left has always had at the very top of their agenda, the, yeah. you know, the desire, the agenda to strip us of our arms, because once they do that, you've got nothing. Yeah. Right. And to your point though, I think you're right. Like if. How many millions of Americans is that? I mean, we're talking right. one third. I mean, that's going to be more than any army they're going to be able to put together. I, I don't know. I think, I think that there's certainly a, a, a puncher's chance in, if it comes to a civil war, which I'm not advocating for it. I don't want anyone to think that I am. But looking at it realistically with the, the amount of guns and ammunition that the American people have in their possession right now, I don't, I don't think it would go over very well. I think you, you would see a civil war if people started knocking on doors trying to take guns. Uh, I really do believe that. I think there's enough patriots yeah, well, still in this country that, hey, that, that's, that's a very real uh, reaction. I think you're right. And I think that's why up until <laughs> our fellow Texan Beto what an idiot. Fi finally said out loud the part you're not supposed to say out loud, <laughs> they, had, they, had, they had never threatened it, right? They had yeah. never threatened it. They had talked about, you know, uh, roles, re uh, registrations of, of, of firearms, um, you know, ending the sale, even back in the late 90s when I think AR-15s were banned under Clinton, right? They mm -hmm. didn't come take them away from us. They just stopped selling them for a while. And, you know, they stopped selling high-capacity magazines. But anybody who had all that stuff was grandfathered in, got to keep it, right? Beto was the first idiot who actually put out there no, I'm going to come take them. Hell yeah, I'm going to take well, their ARs. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and to your point, the 
old quote, an armed society is a polite society. The reason no one's tried it yet and the reason that even that BS threat would, would never really come to fruition is because, to your point, almost half of the country hasn't. And who's ready for that level of potential bloodshed, right? And, and you know, if it's 43%, <laughs> there are highly concentrated pockets where it's much, much higher than that, right? Because we know it's not oh, 43% yeah, yeah. in some of the most hardcore blue states, which means, you know, the, 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 the states like Texas, maybe some of the purple states like Colorado that have more of old West ties and libertarian, you know, mindsets, you know, those percentages are, are much higher there. But yeah, it's because who's going to endorse that? Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, that, that's, that's what the Second Amendment is really for. And to me, we have to be okay saying that. I think that, I think that somewhere along the line, that concept, defending it from the actual idea of defending the free state and from this concept of a militia, people turned away from that. Second Amendment advocates some, turned away from that because it didn't sound... Probably because maybe it sounds unpatriotic, right? Oh, you're going to go to war against your own government? Mm, not today. Right. But hopefully uh, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But I will if right. I have to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had on this guy, uh, I just tipped an interview with uh, TJ uh, Kurgeon, and he owns this company called Tactical Shit. And four years ago, last Thursday, Facebook deleted his page with like 900,000 followers. And that was an election year. This last Thursday, four years from the date, they, Facebook did it again. And not only did they, did they delete his page, they deleted his personal account. They deleted his wife's account, who never posts anything political, just pictures of their kids and their vacations, and, you know, normal soccer mom stuff. Uh, deleted that with no explanation of it at all. It come to find out he talked to basically a lobbyist that works in favor of, you know, pro second amendment organizations and tries to work between them as a, as a liaison between them and Facebook. And this guy told TJ, he said they deleted over a thousand pages on Thursday of all types of pro second amendment pro-conservative value pages that had influence and there's no repercussion for that they did it because it's an election going back to what you were talking about uh, you know not being able to say what you believe in uh you know saying something that like all lives matters well this is just a microcosm of that um and it's being pushed by social media you don't think that politicians are going to see that, that facebook can get away with it the biggest the, the biggest platform essentially in the world. And yeah. I mean, of course they're going to try to do it as well. And uh, it's tyranny. That's tyranny from Facebook. And obviously the second amendment is, is to prevent tyranny of any kind. So we live in a crazy time and I don't know. I, I know Trump signed that law into effect. I think a couple months ago, uh, don't, TJ said he didn't know if anything in there would give them recourse to get their page back, but at least Trump is trying to prevent the censorship uh, because it's, it's getting ridiculous. I wonder how long I'll have a social media page. 
a pro hunting page, you know? Well, it's been attacked, right? I mean, oh, it's been, you been yeah. down regulated. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. 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 I've had posts taken down by Instagram. This violates our community guidelines. I'm like, it was a dead elk. Like, Oh, you know, you could put pictures of shot up human beings, girls in bikinis with, you know, nothing but floss covering their privates, uh, <laughs> real wholesome content like that, but you can't put how you go out and procure your own protein to feed your family. Hell, you, you, you can't even be a, a, a lady, liberal feminist, and say women are women. That right. gets you deplatformed, right? I, I try to live by the idea that I don't, uh, I don't just assume motives, right? But when you look at the fact that <clears throat> that <sighs> the most staunch anti-gun advocates generally come from the places where they've already regulated gun ownership more or less out of existence. Right. Yeah. So by and large, they're attacking the rights of people in flyover country in places they don't even care to go to. Right. I mean, the West coast and the upper East coast want to dictate to the entire country, well, you're not allowed to have guns and they'll claim, Oh, well, if we make them all illegal, then they won't be on the streets. Well, right mm. good luck with that right they already exist <clears throat> so but but again like we talked about last time they don't have to be logical or have any sort of uh you know any sort of rationale it, it's all feelings but but when i look at it as a rational logical human and i i, I think about that and i think like you know the city of chicago has outlawed Carrying, I think it, it's basically it, right? The city of Chicago doesn't allow you to carry. I, think. I don't think you're allowed to. I think it's a gun-free zone, man. Like, I don't think you're allowed. Like, you aren't even allowed to have them in your home. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to have a handgun there. Same in DC. Uh, okay, so you're not allowed to own a handgun, even if you keep it in your house, right? I, I don't know the full extent of it. I just know that gun. It's one of the most restricted gun places in America, and yet, as we all know, has the worst gun violence in America. Maybe you can own one in your home. I don't know. But we need to, we'll follow up on that. Right. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll dig into it. But the point is, it's extraordinarily regulated, right? Yeah. And yet has the highest rates of gun violence. But, you know, they claim it's about saving lives, protecting people and stuff when we know that these mass shootings occur in, like, in gun-free zones that, you know, heavily restricted communities tend to have the highest rates of gun violence. I guess what I'm getting at is it's hard for me not to assume motivations. It's clear as day. It's not about protecting lives or saving lives, right? This is coming from the party that says they should, you know, Hillary Clinton sat on a debate stage against Trump in 2016 and said she supports the abortion of babies up to the day they're due up to the moment that they're due. Mm -hmm. Right. They, you know, like we've talked about, Black Lives Matter when it comes to 15 unarmed African Americans in 2019 being killed by the police. 15, one five. That's one weekend right? in Chicago. It's like a morning. Yeah. And right, and yet nobody, right, nobody wants to address that from the left. Point being, what would happen? I have a really hard MSNBC time. MSNBC and CNN actually reported that for a change. What would what would happen? They would never, well, they don't do it because they're democratic 
controlled cities and it would just make themselves look like the asshats that they are. But if you want real change, that would be one way to start. Oh, for sure. Well, and all you have to do is go to the Black Lives Matters website. Black Lives Matters. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Black Lives Matter website dot com. And read their about us page and you'll see like the word comrade used about five times. Not, I don't never see a, a lot of sign. never a good sign. Right. Red flag. You're off. You're right. We're on the wrong. Uh, uh, <clears throat> we're speaking different languages already. But yep. then you see them talk about disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear patriarchal family. So they're attacking the idea of a nuclear family traditionally described as a mother, father, and children, specifically in that paragraph talking derogatorily about the patriarchy, which they describe as like male domination. But yet at the end, they list out mothers, quote, parents, and like members of the community as far as raising children. They leave fathers out entirely is my point, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's abundantly clear if you just read their about us page, what they are about. It's not about black lives because African-American scholars at Harvard University have written extensively on the idea that fathers, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, orange, purple, brown, yellow, doesn't matter. Not having a father in the home of young boys is the single most directly correlated factor to a life of crime of any. Like nothing is more predictive of incarceration than a boy growing up without a dad. Mm -hmm. Those people want to tear down the entire concept of the nuclear family. Part of the reason for that is because the counter to claims about, you know, police violence against African-American communities is, you know, well, if there were more dads at home, then those African-American communities would have less crime and it would sort of solve the problem. And they say, well, that's not the problem. It's in systemic racism that's the problem. So we'll go swing completely the other way and say, we don't even think dads should be, of course, then there's the concept of toxic, toxic masculinity too, right? They don't want dads involved because dads cheat, teach boys to be men and they don't want that because all men are rapists or whatever. That's a whole other show in itself, toxic masculinity. <laughs> when it, so. We should absolutely, uh, yeah, episode We'll do three, that. Well, let's call. do that one next week because I think that's- Yeah, get, right. Get, yeah. I, we, I we will hit on that topic. Talk we that. will hit on toxic masculinity a lot, <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah, for sure. So. But getting back to my point, like I- it's hard for me not to assume terrible intentions when you pay attention to all that and realize that their prescriptions don't work. They haven't ever worked. They in fact make things considerably worse, whether that's gun free zones or attacking, you know, traditional family structures, all of those things lead to terrible outcomes. I can't help but look at that and say, they're either just, dumb as a box of rocks, which a lot of them are, mm -hmm. or the, the remainder of them that do have enough brain cells to rub together and start a fire actually intend to just strip us of our ability to, to defend ourselves from them, not from, you know, generic bad guy, number one, who might break into my house tonight, but from right. their policies right? To stop the flow of progress. Yeah. No, I, uh, I wish I could remember the, the, uh, is an African American, African American woman who's running, um, for 
Con- Baltimore? Or, yeah, in Baltimore. I forget her name. But that was one of the best ads I've, I've ever seen. It was very powerful. She's walking through the city, pointing out all of the – everything, the broken lights in, in the government housing, uh, low-income housing, and, uh, you know, the streets that are just in disarray, trash everywhere, evidence of crime everywhere. And she's, like, pointing out that these people keep voting the same way over and right. over again. Baltimore, by the way, uh, another city with incredibly high murder rate, uh, gun yep. violence. Um, and it's Democrat controlled. And her point is a very obvious one. Wake up, people. Why do you keep voting for the same people that keep taking a shit on you? They don't care about sure. you. They care about yeah. power. They care about money. And they know that they, they know that they're going to get your vote regardless. And you keep giving her, it to them. Her, her name is Kim Classic. Or That's maybe it. Classic. Yeah. I'm not exactly how, sure how it's We need to get her on the show. She's awesome. She is awesome. I would love to talk to her. Um, she's spot on. And even more to the point of what you were just getting at, that those policies, again, here I am, like, uh, assuming motivations, right? I would say they don't only, they not only lead to those terrible outcomes, man, they're designed to, mm-hmm. because they keep those people in destitution you know in poverty in in these horrible situations but then all they do is preach all of this uh emotionally driven nonsense somehow that keeps basically keeps those people beholden to that party right by by keeping people oppressed they have this voting block because they're the ones that are always speaking to that oppression right the right would say this is a free country you're free to own your labor, use it for your own income, and to rise up out of your state, out of your circumstances. They counter with, nope, the system's rigged. You're screwed no matter what. Uh, here's free handouts. And that's you know, the key. Which right one there, of those Jimmy. sound like the easiest path forward, right? That's but, the but key. Your, the free handouts. Dude, that's how they do it. Name, name, name the city, man, where this is going on. Name the city where these protests are going on. It is hysterical to me. That the, you know, here we are, August uh, 26th, I think. Yep. And, you know, in places like Portland, Oregon, we're now on going over 90 straight days of protests. Portland, Oregon is one of the most leftist cities in America. One of the most leftist cities probably in all of Western society. I hear it's beautiful. I'll never know, though. I've been there. It was cool. (laughs) I liked it. Dirty? Dirty. Some places, parts of it are very funky. Very dirty, but that's all right. I don't mind a growl like going to New Orleans. I don't mind a grimy, hardcore, you know, urban environment. But point being, <laughs> Oregon is one of the whitest states in the union. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, but the state of Oregon was actually incorporated as a white state, which huh. is kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that? Did not. <clears throat> but either way, it's still very predominantly caucasian and yet all these white kids are out there with their democratic mayor you know protesting this institutional racism he was all about it until they started throwing rocks at him then he realized oh wait (laughs) these these people aren't these people aren't liberals they're wild ass leftist revolutionaries right but even you know what just happened this past week in kenosha wisconsin terrible it's terrible. 
that is another city long run by Democrats. Current mayor is a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Detroit, been in Democratic controlled since the 50s, I think. Baltimore, 50 plus years of Democratic control. And the really funny thing is, man, everybody knows Abe Lincoln was a Republican, right? Everybody knows that the Congress oh, Chisholm, promoted- Chisholm, I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this. I have this shirt that is, it triggers, it tri- triggers Democrats. It says, I haven't seen the Democrats this mad since we freed the slaves. And it's got a picture of Abe Lincoln on the front of it. <laughs> I wear to the gym. The only person that ever said anything to me was a big African-American guy. He goes, dude. And I was like, oh, no. This isn't. Like, what you <laughs> Am I about to get knocked out? <laughs> I was like, I, I got it on Amazon. He's like, oh, dude, that's awesome. I got to get that. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, he, he, he loved it. So, <laughs> Dude, listen, there. There's truth there, man. The Republican Party being the party of small government and freedom and liberty inherently is the party of anti-racism. Yeah. We don't want... See, here, here's one of the things that I've learned over the last three or four months since George Floyd's murder about the idea of systemic racism. I have been naturally repelled by that concept because I don't believe that the laws in this country... I believe we have reached a point of equality in the law in this country. And so the idea of systemic racism to me harkens back to Jim Crow and segregation and, you know, a time when the laws themselves were racist. Mm-hmm. Right. But we've, we have moved past that. And what I was getting at is we moved past that in 1969 with the passage of the civil rights act, a body of laws designed to end discrimination that was promulgated by a Republican Congress. It was signed by Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, happened to be a Texan, but it was put together by Republicans and it was fought by who? Democrats. Yeah. The Democrats anyway, so, so yeah, so the Civil Rights Act and, and then, you know, subsequent laws, it, it wasn't perfect. There were, there was redlining that came out in the seventies where, you know, predominantly African-American communities, particularly in DC where, you know, red lines were drawn around them and they like, like took action at a regulatory level to depress housing values and stuff. And, uh, or maybe they said they wouldn't back mortgages. I think that's what redlining was like. They wouldn't provide loans to housing in those areas, which mm-hmm. that's what then like crippled the, you know, the value of those communities. So it, it didn't, it wasn't like a silver bullet, but if you fast forward to today, well, and then even in the nineties and the Clinton's anti-crime initiatives of the nineties, what do they call that? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. I don't recall the name though. Clinton and the Clintons and the Bidens both get hammered for this all the time from the left, but you know, it was a period where lots and lots of African-Americans were incarcerated for dumb things like marijuana possession. Right. Right. But you know, I think in 2020, it's pretty safe to say that for the most part, the law of the land is, is equality. That does not mean that systemic racism isn't still real. There are examples of, systemic racism. I don't believe that they start in the law, in legislation and, and regulation, excuse me, at a federal level. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more like, they're more like relics in society, right? They're, a lot of times they're just born out of like good old fashioned human individual racism, right? But that's been perpetuated good over generations. Good human <laughs> individual racism. Well, I mean, that's what, to me, that's what racism is, right? Yeah, racism is, is not this figmentary thing that is, you know, higher, that, it, that is, that it, that is 
truly systemic. It's just evil and hatred in people's hearts, right? I'll tell you, but some, agreeing with what you're saying, though, my generation, I'm 39. I don't uh, identify as millennial. My youngest brother is 30. I heard racist jokes in the locker room regularly. You know, it just was a part. I mean, people, white guys told him, black guys told him. My brother told me that that, that wasn't a part of his upbringing like by in the in just that decade like that stuff had almost gotten filtered out and that it kind of echoing what you're saying he says racism has come so far he's like because all these things that used to be commonplace are pretty much being filtered out of normal society of what's acceptable right and i think that's a that's a good thing right yeah absolutely like, again, again another another Right. Another thing I don't that want I my kinda, kids to hear the things that I heard. Right. Another yeah. thing I definitely came to grips with over this summer was I don't believe I'm not a racist person. Um, I know that I'm not. I don't care what any leftist tries to tell me. I'm not. Right. The, the color of someone's skin does not cause me to judge them. What comes out of their mouth and the way they behave is what causes me to judge them if I'm going to judge them. But at least you're being I can say, yeah. yeah, I can say I have listened to heard jokes etc you know that that i i'm gonna try to do a better job of looking at somebody and saying you think that's funny dude yeah. you know and i'm not saying that i'm gonna go to war on every you know some people are just ignorant and just let them wallow in their ignorance right but i, I guess getting back to the point that's 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 progress right that right yeah. there is a perfect example of just a nine-year window where society continued its evolution right and we have setbacks right we have moments in time where things get awry i will say this the funniest comedians funniest comics in the stand-up world and they're of all different colors tell racist jokes on stage all the time and people still laugh at them and they fight black white brown doesn't matter they all collectively fight for the right to say whatever they want on that comedian stage right yeah so you know in regular casual society, I think it's good. But at the same time, let comedians make jokes. Don't be so PC, you know, and, and you know, so quick, so woke that you can't take a joke ever when it's, you know, woke. clearly intended simply as a joke. And the great thing about comedians is that they're equal opportunity offenders. Yeah. There's not a comedian in America right now that's going to get up on stage and tell a bunch of racist jokes about one particular race. They're going to slam everybody in the room. Right. And that's might even take a shot gonna... at midgets, little people. <laughs> nothing getting back limit. to my what I'm saying is nothing's off limits for them. They don't care, you know. Right. Yeah. People exactly. still laugh. So great. So we're we're going pretty long here, so I'll try to wrap this up. But getting back to my point about this transition from the Republicans being the party of equality and anti racism to suddenly being, you know, alleged by the left as being the, the opposite of that, right? You can go back to the twenties late teens and, and early 20s, Woodrow Wilson was maybe the most racist person to ever inhabit the White House. Hmm. His name was on the, I think it was the School of International Affairs or International Policy at Yale University until June when they finally acknowledged after tearing down for the last four years statues of, you know, everybody from, you know, Robert E. Lee to now George Washington, right? They finally realized, eh, maybe we shouldn't continue to support this, what was back then considered a hardcore progressive. And he was a hardcore progressive because he believed, he believed, and just Google it, it's 
the, the documentation of his just abounds, right? That African-American people were intellectually inferior to white people. And therefore he wanted to implement federal policies to not only segregate us, but to try to, you know, uh, help them because of their quote handicap, right? That was progressive policy a hundred years ago. Well, so then, you know, get to the seventies where this weird switch happened where it was Southern Democrat segregationists, you know, that were by and large fighting against like the civil rights movement and, and, and desegregation. If you look at the, the history of African-Americans in the Senate, the first three African-American senators, and by the way, there's only ever been 10. So maybe that's an example of systemic racism. Uh-huh. In the history of the Senate, there's been 10 African-Americans. But the first three were Republicans. The next four were African-Americans. Sorry, the next six. And now there is another Tim Scott, who we've already mentioned, mm-hmm. African-American. So there's been six Democrats and four Republicans. The Republicans came first. But the crazy thing is that if you look at the left's approach to race today, it's all about dividing us by identity. That's what identity politics is. You are defined. Last week's visit on, on tribalism, yeah. Right. You're defined by your race. You can't understand the, the, the life of a person from the opposite race. Because we're not all just people. We're black people or white people or brown people, right? They want to divide us at least philosophically, if not geographically, by race. So the reality is nothing has changed since Woodrow Wilson. They're still the party of segregation. They still push segregationist policies. And so back to your point about the destruction of these American cities that have been run by democratic policies for 50 years, why should anybody be surprised? Right. They've always, they've always driven wedges. They've always ginned up strife. They've always segregated again, if not by, you know, they, you know, they may say, Oh, segregation ended in the sixties. Not really, you know, yeah. not if you're, constantly talking about people's identity, you know, just because we can all use the same restrooms and the same uh, sit on the, in any seat we want on the bus and use the same water fountains. That doesn't mean that we're not being segregated. No, totally. Not Look at the, ever. going back to Baltimore. You, uh, do you think that there were white people living in those neighborhoods? By and large, no, uh, mostly black, probably some Latino. And, and that's that. And, and that's by design by the Democrats. Uh, right. Well, yeah. if it's not by design, it sure as hell can't, you cannot argue it's not the outcome of their policies. Right, right. That's all yeah. there is to it. Well, it, going back to what you said, though, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, um, and that, why the NFL pissed me off so bad. On week one, they're going to say we're going to play the Black National Anthem. There's, I don't, you know, I'm sure that there's makes them feel good on some level to hear that song. There's tons of songs that remind me of my childhood that my mom used to sing to me. Have nothing to do with race, just lullabies. Uh, there's only one national anthem if there's one people, right? Right, right. So that's just another example of, of them trying to divide you know, where we should be saying let's come together and let's celebrate the national anthem. No, we're going to have one for black people and one for white people. How is that making progress? Going back to Woodrow Wilson, what, <laughs> that's just the exact opposite of progress. You know, that, that's a great example of it, right? You're right. We, we have one national anthem. I, I guess I'd probably wrap it up with this. The, 
the America that I believe in is one where anybody has opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we may not all have, we might not all have the same outcomes, but, but we have, we all have opportunity, right? We might not all start out on the same foot, right? I know for a fact that I come from a privileged background, not just because I'm white, just because, well, mostly, you know, what the biggest single factor of privilege is, again, is having a, a complete family that you're raised in. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you know, this is a country where you can come from anywhere and, and be successful. But to the point about like having a whole separate anthem and stuff, it was delusional in the last, say, 20 or 30 years to talk in terms of being colorblind, right? Oh, I don't see color. Eh, bullshit. We all see color, right? You can't, if you don't see color, then you don't see, yeah. right? You see that they're a person, but you see a person's race. You can't help that. The question is, what does that trigger in you, right? If you see a person's color and just, you know, don't dwell on it, don't assume anything about that person again until you, you get to know them, then so be it. And it may be worthwhile to the left's point. Like I said, I, I do want to give the left credit for raising in issues, right? They always have a terrible approach to solving them, but they raise issues. Yep. You should not assume a person's background based on their color, but it is a part of who they are right? It's a part of who we all are, not they, all of us. Our race is a part of who we are, but it is not all that we are. I know for a fact, I know for a fact because I've had conversations in the last 60 days with people that I've got Mexican American friends, Latino, whatever, however you want to classify them, Mm -hmm. African American friends that are Christians generally from, let's say, Texas, Louisiana, you know, the Southwest, they all agree with me on eight out of 10 topics, right? People with different racial backgrounds. The common thing we have is we're people and we're Christians and we're from more or less the same geography. I know for sure that I have more in common with those specific friends than I do with some idiot leftist white kid from a privileged, you know, rich family on the upper West coast. Walking around with a on in a black hoodie. Right. That doesn't mean that, you know, my, my black friends aren't influenced by having been, you know, having lived as, as a black person in America and, and same for my Mexican American friends and same for me as a white guy. Right. But we have more in common based on our geography and a shared culture that comes from that geography. And most importantly, the shared values of Christianity than we have any of us have with the same skin tone counterparts in, you know, secular atheist leftist <laughs> shitholes. Right. So, right. Anyway. And, and in some podcasts we will address the fact that Chisholm and I are both Christians and still like to swear. So uh, apologies for that. <laughs> it, it is going back to talking about being hypocrites. Eh, I, I do realize that that is a little hypocritical, but uh, I don't know. I'll blame it on hunting camp. Uh, also, no. as we up here we totally it's all tied together uh how we got onto these cities democrat run cities is by high rates of gun violence and the uh you know in the beginning of this conversation the second amendment and i I do want to encourage people to uh to go buy another gun (laughs) sounds somewhat ridiculous but but uh truly isn't if you're watching what's going on in the country certainly stock up on ammo 
if you are uh, a first-time gun buyer, we've had just we've had so many first-time gun buyers because of this pandemic and just the uncertainty that's in our uh, society at the the current time. I mean, it's been incredible, um, which I think is a good thing. Maybe that percentage that was forty-three is up to forty-seven. You never know, but I think that's a great thing. Y'all keep buying guns, and uh, I think at the end of the day. If it ever came down to it, that's, you know, that's our greatest ability to protect ourselves. Uh, well, and, and I, I'll say one thing, you know, I made the distinction at the beginning of the conversation that the Second Amendment was designed for the protection of a free state, right? And that we kind of lost the argument when we started talking about personal protection. I don't say that to say personal protection is not important. Yeah. I have firearms in my household for exactly that purpose, right? But I would like to point out that all those people that are out buying guns for the first time, many of whom were anti-gun until, yeah. you know, June 1st, right? And, and, you know, maybe hardcore activists against the Second Amendment. They bought those guns, they think, for personal protection in this chaotic time. But they bought them to protect themselves against a leftist mob that has activated across the country. And that is the exact kind of tyranny that the founders intended, right? Yep. They didn't buy it because they suddenly got paranoid that on a random night, a random dude would bust into their house to rob them and hurt somebody. They bought them because all of a sudden, mobs of revolutionaries are storming the streets. Exactly. They bought them for the exact reason that provision was drafted. They may not have made the connection in their minds yet, but they bought them to prevent their way of life from being overthrown by this current attempted revolution. And I'm not saying that every, let's make sure to make one thing abundantly clear as we wrap this up. I support protests. I don't care what it's for, dude. Protesting is a part of the fabric of American life. Absolutely. I'm a big boycotter. You know, I don't like something. I don't like a company. Don't I saw That's Snoop right. Dog. I saw Snoop Dogg on a Corona commercial. I hate Snoop Dogg. Don't like him. <laughs> uh, he he's a man. He does not. You talk about someone who's divisive and wants black people to hate white people. Don't like Snoop Dogg. Won't be drinking Corona. So I'm all about the boycott and the protest. Right. Well, and we can't sit here and defend the Second Amendment if we're not willing to defend every aspect of the first. And in the first, it says right to assembly. Right. And that's what a protest is. It's an assembly of people with a cause. So we have to support that. What we don't support is looting, rioting, and what you see, you know, if, if you're paying attention, you know, video clips of, you know, people demanding that individuals in the street take a knee or, or you know, put a fist up or, Comrade. or you know, right. I mean, and, and those are the most minor examples. What we're really talking about is these mobs burning things, ransacking things, physically threatening people's lives and property, right? Mm -hmm. That nobody supports, no, you know, nobody but those people support that, right? I support the assemblies, I support the protests. Um, I support people getting a little worked up. I don't, cannot, will not support destruction. And especially because dude, most of the people who are being hurt the worst by that destruction are the very people these people are out there claiming to be advocating for, man. I mean, like Minneapolis, it was black owned businesses that were getting burned and, and other minority owned businesses, you know, like 
I mean, it was the very people that they were out there claiming they were fighting for were the ones who were getting the most harmed by that stuff. And that's where, you know, you, you know, you look out in the Pacific Northwest and you see some spoiled white kids screaming in the face of a black officer. Like, give me a break, dude. The African-American lady mayor, or not mayor, but, you know, police chief of Seattle who had to resign because her mayor cut their funding by, I don't even remember how many million, $250 million or something like that. She's just like, well, screw it, I quit. Do you think they drove they drove an African American woman out of the police force yeah. with their defund the police crap? Yeah, and now we have a, a green light to just go and uh, shoot cops on a whim. Uh, I mean, that's where we're at in this country now. Uh, so it's 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 a double standard. It's got to stop. The violence has to stop. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Next week, we are going to tackle toxic masculinity. Sound good, Chisholm? Uh, yeah. I bet you can guess where we stand. (laughs) That's going to do it for this week's episode of Justified Pursuit. We'll see you all next week. Have a good one. Behind the house where I lived Back when I was a kid I played G.I. Joe beneath the tall pine tree And I'd fight imaginary wars Till my mom called from our back porch And I'd come home covered In that pine pits from my head down to my knees